listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. For those of you who hadn't been here and know exactly where we are in this letter, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman, well, he's under house arrest, say a Roman prison. He's kind of in prison, but he's at, his, at, a, at a home under arrest waiting for an opportunity to present a case to Caesar. Back in Jerusalem, a big riot had been started by, uh, by some leaders of the, of the Jewish faith, the Judaism. They had gotten mad at Paul because Paul was, was presenting a faith that was for both Jew and Gentile. And they were mad at him because the Gentiles weren't supposed to be a part of who we are. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. God has always been for all people. He just set us apart as a group of people to prepare the way for Messiah. Who, by the way, is the one you crucified, his name being Jesus from Nazareth, the carpenter and, and minister for about three years of a life. And that made him really, really mad. Because they certainly weren't believing that Jesus was Messiah. So Paul's preaching a message about, about being reconnected to God by faith in Jesus. And everyone comes to faith or comes to, to God through faith in Jesus. And it's for Jew and Gentile. And it just was blowing up their minds. And so a riot started in Jerusalem. And the Romans took kind of control of this riot and said, what's going on? And Paul's like, they're mad at me. And, uh, and I've not really done anything. And by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And so the Romans got really excited about what was going on because a Roman citizen was involved. And so Paul has tried to present his case to the local and then regional authorities. And it wasn't seeming to get anywhere. And he finally just said, you know what? Let me present my case to the Supreme Court, if you will. Let me present my case to Caesar. And so Paul's basically kind of in jail waiting his turn to see Caesar. And he writes a few letters to believers in different cities that he has been in and, and, uh, and, and told about Jesus and had people come to faith. And then a group of people together as followers of Jesus got together and began to worship together and to teach one another and encourage one another. And a local church was formed in these areas. So when Paul writes this letter, to the Ephesians, he's writing to believers. He's writing to followers of Jesus who live in the city of Ephesus. And he spends the first three, well, what we have is chapters. He spends the first half of the letter encouraging them and reminding them of who they are because of Christ. Because of what Christ has done for them, because of their faith in Christ, they're now part of the family of God. And Paul is reminding them and encouraging them what what it means to be a part of the family of God and how that God is going to provide and lead us in his will and following his purpose for us in this time, that is representing Jesus, sharing that message of salvation to all who can hear, and then offering them an opportunity to, to also, by faith, trust in him. And God says, and, and I'm going to provide everything you need to do that, as well as wrestle against our own still sin nature 
that's being, that's being pressed down by the Holy Spirit in us so that the life of Christ might rise up in us. And so God said, I provided everything you need to set aside that old you and walk in the new life that I've given you. And, and primarily that, that uh, blessing and benefit that we have is the person of the Holy Spirit resident within us. And that's when he got to, in chapter number three, the call to be controlled by the Spirit. He says, if you'll just let God the Holy Spirit be in the driver's seat of your life, making the choices for you, making the decisions for you, determining what is and isn't okay and and, and how to avoid those things that would be contrary to the will and the work of God in your life. If you'll just let the Holy Spirit control you and guide you, then you will be able to live out that life that I've called you to, that life of holiness and and unity, that life of of a witness for Jesus and not giving folks a reason to doubt your authenticity. If you'll let the Holy Spirit control you, then you can live that out effectively. And then he moves into talking about through the idea of the Holy Spirit being in control, he says that you'll be willing to be mutually submissive to one another. If the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat of all of our lives, what is not going to be the most important thing to us? It's what I want. If the Holy Spirit is in control of our life, if we're letting God drive our life, then what's What's my desire is going to be placed aside so that what Christ wants can be elevated. And he says that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is in control of us. We begin to submit to one another. But how many of us have been involved in churches or in groups of Christians where anything but harmony and unity could be describing that group? It's fussing and fighting and bickering and clamoring and, and, and just trying to gain power and control. Paul says when the Holy Spirit is in control, you'll be mutually submissive. You'll say, this is what I think. This is kind of what's resonating with me. But you know what? I'm going to hold that loosely so that Christ might be elevated and his will might be discovered. And if we're all doing that, if we're all setting ourselves aside, then we can discover together what it is that Jesus is leading us as a body, as a group, how he is pushing and guiding us. And then he takes that idea and he flips it over into the very practical area of the home. And he says, as we're talking about the spirit being in control, as we're talking about submitting to one another mutually and just being willing to to be and do what God's called me to be and do, let's take this into the home. And let's talk about how this ought to be lived out. And he talked first to wives. He says, wives, I want you to exercise this mutual submission to one another. I want you to exercise this specifically toward your own husband. I want you to submit to the authority that God has placed him in in the home. Not because he's smarter, not because he's, uh, you know, better or more valuable or, or has a, you know, a, a greater place in my family than you do. It's not because you're secondary, he's primary. No. It's because I've made the husband, the father, to be that, that leading representative of the home. I've given him authority, but I've also given him great responsibility for the home. So wives, what I want you to do is I want you to submit yourself and let him lead. 
He's going to be wrong sometimes. He's going to be a knucklehead sometimes. And God's basically saying, ladies, I just want you to trust me with him. When you submit to him, it's not going to be because he's right all the time. It's going to be because you trust me. I want you to submit to me through him and trust that I got him. I can do with him whatever I need to do with him. You just trust me with him by voluntarily submitting yourself, allowing him to live. That's not mean don't give your opinion. Oh, let him hear your opinion. Maybe sometimes that opinion needs to be loud because he doesn't get it. And he's, thank you for that, amen. Uh, he, he don't get it a lot of the time. And that opinion needs to be poured out and said and passionately. And, and you know what really makes the argument strong? When you use this right here to make that point to him. But then at the end of the day, you got to go, but you got to decide. Because it's your responsibility to lead. And I'm going to trust God with you. Now, fellas, I, I didn't say this when I preach that message to your wives, but, but I want to say it today. That sermon is not for you to preach to her, okay? You are not qualified to preach the submission sermon to your wife. Trust me, I don't preach it to mine. She just happened to be here that day, okay? That's for God to speak to her. That's for his word to work through her. Don't preach that to her. Let Hey, Trust God with her, okay? If she ain't doing what she's supposed to do, trust God with her because she got to do that every day with you. So wives submit. But then he turns it around and he says, just in case you thought you had the greater burden to bear, husbands, here's what I want you to do. Now, I've asked her to submit to you, not because you know it all and probably not because you know more than she does on any given occasion, but I've called her to submit to you because I've placed you in a role of leadership in the home. And that role of leadership requires that you love your wife like Jesus loves the church. And just in case you missed how Jesus loved the church, he died for her. He set aside all that was rightfully his so that he might give her his all. Even when she was in stark rebellion against him while we were still sinners romans tells us christ died for us husbands you got the big role and that is give yourself up for her greatest good regardless of she deserves it regardless of how she's acting regardless of the things she's saying it's your responsibility to love her like Jesus. Now, ladies, I'm not going to ask you to respond, but I gave your husband some questions last week to ask you out loud, giving you time to answer. I hope he did that. I hope he asked you those questions. I hope you responded to him honestly. And some of you may be still pondering. Guys, I feel sorry for you. She got a lot to say. But I hope that will be something that, guys, you do often. That you will look to her, you will ask her hard questions about your loving her, about your leading of the family, and give her room to answer. And by all means, fellas, the smartest thing you can do in all of your married life is listen, 
listen, listen to your bride because she's a child of God, no less than you are, and God speaks clearly to her. Listen to what she has to say. But the home has often more members, and they start out real small and cute and smelling good. And even when they're smelling bad, they're still kind of smelling good. I mean, I know that's not, but there's something about the little ones that are there and they can't walk and they can't talk and they can't provide anything of positivity to the family except they're just adorable. And then they grow and they begin to speak and they begin to get into things and then they begin to get into things. And then they begin to talk, and they begin to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And now, I just need you to get over there and sit down and be quiet and don't touch that and don't be doing that. Where are you going? And who are you going with? Uh, and when are you going to be home? No, I'm going to tell you when you're going to be home. And then they don't come home at the time you told them to be home. And then you're waiting up and you're mad because you're not in bed and it's past your bedtime and they're not there. And they're angry with you because you're angry with them. And everything's being said that you wish we could have just done in the morning. But there's not a thing in you that let it wait till the morning. And then they get to that place where they are confident you don't know anything about anything. And they're threatening to leave and you're showing them the door. And then they're getting married and you're wishing you hadn't yelled at them so much and and then they're bringing grandkids and you go oh yes that's why we had them to bring that's that's the ongoing argument or or discussion between me and my boys of of what their purpose is and I've assured them that grandkids is at least a large part of their purpose kids and so God addresses children Paul addresses, I believe, the children of the believers who may or may not have been believers. And I think Paul makes this call to the kids who are there with with mom and dad or mom without dad or just with dad. I think that Paul is leaning in because he knows there's kids present. He doesn't know whether they're followers of Jesus a lot. Matter of fact, he's not been to Ephesus in over half a decade. So he knows that there are kids growing in and around this body of believers. And I think Paul speaks to them because they have a role to play in the home. The home is where children primarily have the opportunity to live out their faith. We got kids in the room today. Some of them can understand what I'm saying. Some of them can't. But I'm telling you, if you can understand what I'm saying this morning, God has a word for the children in the house today. In your home is where you most effectively obey Jesus. And I know so many of our kids want to live their life for Christ, but they struggle just like the rest of us with their own sin nature, with, with, with even wrestling with the reality and how to think about something that you can't see and touch and hear with your ears. And, and, and how do you take this that sounds so old and, and really doesn't speak our language as much as we would like? For, and kids are wrestling. They have a desire. Many of them have a love for Jesus, but they're struggling. They don't really know how to flesh this out. 
That's why we walk with them through kids' ministry and student ministry. I tell our students all the time, I I want them to know one thing and one thing above all else, and that is we love them. We love them, and we want them to know Jesus. We want them to love Jesus. We want them to walk with Jesus, and that's the only reason we're here, to do what we do on Wednesday nights and and other. And by the way, there's a student ministry party on Wednesday night. Y'all don't let me forget to tell you about that at the end. We do what we do because we want them to know Christ. We want them to walk with him. And the home, kids, is where you most effectively live out your faith. Here's what Paul says. We've talked to husbands. We've talked to wives. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, you have a part to play too. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, you have two responsibilities where your parents are concerned. Number one is obedience. And number two is honor. Both are choices that have to be made. One is an action. The other is is an attitude, but both give you the primary opportunity to live out your faith in obedience to Christ. Here's what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All children need the intentional, loving supervision and training of a loving adult. It's just what is needed. In fact, I think that probably was going to be the case prior to sin. I think Adam and Eve would have would have reproduced, and, and I have no reason to think that a child would not be born, and then that child would have to be nurtured. This that we're going through as, as parents with children and raising them from infancy to adults, I don't think that that is a new thing because of sin. It's just hard because of sin. I think God's intention was always for them to be born small and be raised to their adulthood. And so God's design just naturally lends to the fact that kids need loving, intentional supervision. And Paul instructs the kids by pointing them to Jesus. I find it interesting that in this verse it says, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This is the right thing to do. In Colossians 3.20, also a letter written from this house arrest to the believers in the city of Colossae, Paul says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And so Paul is instructing the kids on how to obey parents, but also he's pointing them to loving their Lord. Some of them may not even yet know the Lord, but he's still pointing them in that direction. Let's talk about the word obedience. Here's what obedience means. It means to follow instructions. It means to be subject to, to follow Obedience means to do what you're told, like you've been told, and do it when you're told. It's just simply following instructions, being subject to the authority 
of another. It's very similar to when driving in an automobile. You see the lights flashing behind you, depending on which state you're in. Red and blue, I grew up in Georgia where the lights are all blue and they flash behind you and you pull over and the authority figure gets out and he comes and says, license and registration, please. The driver pulls out his wallet, pulls out her wallet or a purse and hands him the license and registration following instructions, submitting oneself because of an authority figure. God says, listen, that whole idea of authority starts in the home. Kids, mom and dad are your authority. But here's the thing. You know that. You know they're your authority. You get it. I don't really have to tell you that. But here's what God says. Obey them. Intentionally subject yourself to them. Can you rebel against your parents' kids? Of course you can. Can they tell you to do something that inside you'd go ahead and decide, I'm not doing that, or I don't want to do that. I'd rather play, or I'd rather do something. Absolutely, you can. You can choose to disobey and do your own thing. But, but God says, I've called us all to submit to one another, specifically to authorities. Kids, you want to you please God with your life? Then obey your parents. You, you, you want to be pleasing to God? You don't have to do anything. He already loves you and gave Jesus for you. You don't have to do anything to be pleasing to God, but if you want your life to be lived for his pleasure, if you want your life and actions to be things that God is cheering you on for, then he says it begins by obeying your parents. God loves you even when you disobey. God loves you when you talk back. God loves you when you absolutely defy your mom and daddy. Jesus died for you even when you were as rotten as rotten can be. But that doesn't mean God approves of those things. If you want your life to be lived for Christ as a reflection of your love for Jesus, he says, subject yourself to your parents follow their instructions it's a choice just like mom's submission to dad is her choice and it's just like dad's choosing to give his life for mom is his choice obedience is your choice but it is an action and this action extends beyond just mom and dad here's who it extends to it extends to anyone that mom and dad deputizes as authority in their place because you know sometimes you're not always just with mom and dad sometimes you're with other people let's talk about some of these other people what about step parents well they don't count that you're not my daddy you're not my mama um sorry it does it doesn't work that way now maybe there's a person in your life that you don't care for you're angry at and you say that's not my daddy but god says Submit to those that have been given authority over you. Mom or dad has given them authority. Submit. Subject yourself by choice. What about grandparents? Some kids love to go to grandparents' house. You know why? Manipulation. 
Mom and dad say no. Grandparents forgot how to say that. But that's not always the case. But when they do say, the response is obey. What about guardians? Not parents, not grandparents, but they're just the guardian. You know what? They stand in that role and they're to be obeyed. Foster parents, teachers, principals, babysitters are to be obeyed. If you want to live your life for Christ, if you want your life to be lived out for him, then you obey those in authority over, even babysitters. What about coaches? All of the civil authorities that are over you, you obey. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. It's how you live your faith out in the growing years of your life. Parents can be wrong. Parents can be unkind, inconsiderate, and even at times they can be mean. But that doesn't change the fact that God says, obey. You say, I don't get that. That's not fair. Well, if we looked at Romans chapter 13, we would discover that God's called us all to be obedient to our civil authorities Whether they're good authorities or not, we're to be good citizens, meaning we're to subject ourselves to the laws and be obedient to the laws so far as they don't require us to do do something that, that contradicts God's Word. Sometimes parents can be the worst authority a kid has in their life. Sometimes a parent isn't worth a plug nickel in raising their children. But God says... Trust me with them. You trust me, and I'll take care of you. But be subject to those in authority over you. Obedience is the same even if the kids are believers and the parents are not. But mom, I don't, I don't want to have my lesson on Wednesday because I want to go to student ministry. I'm sorry, honey. You're going and you're going to have that and this is when it's going to happen. Yes, ma'am. Now, if there's room for you to say, well, listen, could I take a break? Because I really would like to go to student. Mom, you just don't understand. I love Jesus and, and I like being around my friends and, and, and I know we can't go on Sundays because that's dad's day off and I know we go to, but I'd really love to be able to go. Would it, would there be any way that we could rearrange and set it up and I could do some extra this and extra? Work that if you can. But when the decision is made, no, I'm sorry. You're not going. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Because the God of the student ministry is far more able of caring for you and leading you if you're obeying him by being obedient to them. So, obedience is the choice children make. If their life was going to be lived and lived out to reflect their love for their Lord. But children should never obey instructions that are illegal, immoral, unethical, or dangerous. Kids, whether you're here or whether you're watching, if you're asked to do something that just feels 
wrong. You got to tell somebody. If mom and dad won't hear, but inside you're going, I just, this doesn't feel right. This feels like something that's not moral. They're asking me to take something that I know doesn't belong. They're asking me to tell someone something that I know is not true. They're asking me to defend. They're asking me to keep a secret that I just don't think I should be keeping. Kids, I know that's, tr- that's troubling and that's hard for you to wrestle with. And sometimes you feel like you're alone and the best thing to do is just to do and, or keep your mind. Listen, you got to tell somebody. You're feeling like that? you got to tell somebody. And, and, and folks here at Oasis Church are safe folks you can tell. Because what we can do is we can help you think about, okay, what is it that's being asked? If it's wrong, then we'll, we'll help you deal with that. Well, don't fall victim to those things that are illegal, immoral, unethical, or dangerous. But thinking that most of our parents who are followers of Jesus only want what's best and are doing the best they can with what they have to work with, the idea is obey. We got a lot of room in our homes to do a lot more of that if we'll make the choice to do so. But it's not just the action. There's the attitude as well. Because see, obedience, obeying your parents, well, that starts as soon as you get old enough to understand what no, no means. We got some videos of our kids and saying no, no, and it's that funny battle, and you love to look back. But you know, they start understanding what no, no, and then after a while, you say no, no, and they do it anyway, what do they get? They get pop on that hand, and they look at you like, how dare you limit my freedom? I'm a constitutionally free individual. No, you're not. No, no, pop that hand, no. And, and then you know the instructions. As soon as you get old enough to hear those instructions from mom, you're called to obey them. You say, well, do, do I have to obey them all the way up into adulthood? No. You obey them as long as you're under their authority. You leave their home, you launch out, you fly out of the nest, you fly into freedom or or you get encouraged out of the nest you're on your own as far as obedience is concerned but this next thing that that God has called us to is the attitude that should be behind obedience this begins as early as you can understand it and it extends throughout the entire existence of your life and that is honor So Paul pulls this right out of Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments, when he says, honor your father and mother. And then he he tells these Gentiles, he's like, and this is one of the first commandments that God gave that had a promise. And he alters it a little bit because in Exodus 20, 12, what God does is he says to the Israelites, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that I'm giving you. He gave a promise to them that, that he would bless them for honoring their parents, being a, a, allowing their parents to be something that is honored into their life. And I'm going to make that where you have a prosperity in the land. Well, the Gentiles in Ephesus, they weren't the recipients of that promise. But the general principle is true. And so Paul just alters a little bit and he says, look, 
This is one of the first commandments that God gave that had a promise attached to it. When you honor the Lord, when you honor the Lord by honoring your parents, then you're not making the dumb mistakes. You're, you're actually pointing yourself in the right direction and you experience a much more stable life when you have a good, solid relationship with those individuals who are your parents. Honor, it's an attitude, it's a choice of showing high regard for, reverence for, and respect to. Let me give you a for instance. You can obey without honoring. Kids, here's what it looks like. Mom says, go clean up your room. And you say, and you go clean up your room, and you go in your room, and you close your door. And that's when you begin having that conversation with your parent that they're not actually there for. It's where you get real bold and you begin saying things to your parent that you wouldn't dare say to their face. You're in there. You're stirring some stuff around. You're moving it from one place to the next. You're being obedient now. Because in your heart, you're just, you have this disdain, this, I'm going to go be obedient. But we all know that there's no honor and there's no respect in that. There's no reverence. Honoring is when we, it's when we choose to hold our parents in high regard, even when they don't deserve it. It's a, it's a choice to honor, like the, the, the soldier who salutes the stripes. That officer may not deserve that respect because that officer as a person may be an absolute jerk. But what do you do? You salute the stripe. You, you honor the role. And God says, here's what you do. I want you to submit yourself to, to imperfect individuals. I want you to submit yourself to folks that might not even be the best example to you sometimes. And then I want you to honor, I want you to hold them in high regard. Well, God, they, they don't deserve that. I realize that. But I want you to submit yourself. I want you to hold them. I want you to love them by your honor. Disrespect of parents is always disrespect to Jesus. You know, in 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 3, the first few verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, a lot of pretty hostile things are going to happen. And one of those things is disrespect to parents, disobedience to parents. Children will be disobedient. Would you say that we're at least viewing that in our world today? I mean, it seems like that, that kids are running the home nowadays. The way I see and hear kids act and speak to their parents sometimes, I mean, it. and, and I, don't, I don't apologize for it. Um, I spanked my kids. And you know what? I did it with uh, as much grace as I know how to do, but, but they got a whooping if they need it. I'm telling you, there's some grown kids sometime that I feel like need an absolute spanking by the way they communicate to their parents. 
So I think we'll probably experience some of those last day times. But disrespect is never going to be approved by Jesus. When you disrespect your parents' kids, you're disrespecting your Lord. Because he said respect and and love and show me that obedience by the way that you subject yourself to them. Jesus will never approve of disrespect or defiance. And there's a lot of that going on. Listen, you get to be 12, 13, it's natural for you to want to become independent. That's a normal part of life. You're, you're growing, you're changing. I mean, you're starting to recognize, okay, I'm not going to be with these folks forever. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to be out on my own one of these days, and it's going to be awesome because then I'm going to be able to experience everything I've ever wanted out from under their lock and key. And guess what? Yeah, that is not the truth. But it's what you think. And so you begin to grow and become more independent. But here's the problem. Your growth and independence is fueled by sin. And so the thing that's very natural for you and the pushback and the, and the bowing up, that seems very natural, but it's broken by sin. And Jesus is never going to approve of you going toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose with your daddy's son. God is never going to approve, ladies, of you disdaining mom and writing her off now parents you're probably not doing it right if they don't hate you a little bit but to the kids i hate you boy you better be careful with that because you know who you're rising up against you're rising up against your lord yeah they might not be right they may be aggravating the pudding out of you but God's never going to approve of that face to face disdain and disrespect honor and I know it's going to be hard because sometimes parents hurt your kids sometimes parents make decisions that cause you to be angry that cause you to be so hurt by your parents. You say, I will never be able to honor them because they are an absolute jerk because of what they did. And you know what? God knows they did it. And he's not pleased with that. But what he's called us to do is submit that hurt to him. You know, he's got another word for that take a guess what that is that's exactly what it is forgiveness when we submit our hurt not saying it's okay not saying we're okay that they did what they did but when we submit our hurt and we say god i'm gonna let you hold it because if i keep holding this then i'm never going to be able to think about that person without thinking an evil hateful, really bad thought about them. So God, I want to let you hold this hurt. I'm letting go because I don't know what to do with it. I I am not qualified to hold on to that. So I'm going to let you hold on to that, God. And, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose to release my right to hold that against them.
They may not ever say they're sorry. They may not ever change their ways. But when you let go of the hurt so that God can... God's holding the hurt. God don't take the hurt and go, you're so silly. No, no. God takes that hurt. And you know what he does? He says, hand me that. Jesus died for that. Jesus felt the weight of that hurt right there. Let me hold that. Because there's some blood that will cover that. You let me hold you. And we let go. And when we've let go, then we can start going, okay, God, what do I do? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to honor them. That doesn't mean you got to go on vacation with them. That doesn't mean you have to submit to their every want of your life. That just means that you revere them on behalf of your Lord. When you look at them, you see them through his eyes. And you go, you hurt me, but you hurt him too. I know he loves you, so I'm just going to love you for him. Honor. There's some adults in the room that have wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. What, what does that mean? It, it doesn't mean being okay with what they did. It just means choosing to let go so that I might honor them. From a distance, maybe. With boundaries, possibly. But for the name of Christ. The home is where children primarily live out their faith. In action by obedience, in attitude by honor. And you know what? Jesus kind of led the way for us. When, when the sinless one put on flesh, Luke 2, 51 and 52 says, and he went down with them, talking about Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. If anyone was more deserving of the leadership role in the home, it was Jesus as an infant. He was more deserving. But what did he do? He became human and he submitted to them. And it goes on to say, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And that's what our kids do when they submit to mom and dad. They increase in wisdom, in, in, their, in their life stature, and they, they increase in the pleasure of God and those around them. But parents, it's not just to the kids. The home is where children are to be disciplined and trained, and this is your job. Look at verse number four. Fathers, he's speaking to fathers because they're the representative of the home. But mama, you are part of this too. Just because you're not identified doesn't mean that you're not part of this. So I'll say it this way. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the home has always been God's sacred haven for evangelism and discipleship. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we won't read them. But you know what it says. It says, the Lord your God is one, and, and you shall remember these things and write these things that I've told you on your heart and teach them to your children when they're getting up, when they're going down, when you're going along the way, when they rise up, when you put them down. Write these things on the wall. Write them on the door frames. Write them on the inside of your hands and your head. You need to be pouring God's Word. You need to be pouring the faith into your kids because the home is where the kids are discipled. It's not church. It's not youth group. 
The home is where God designed the kids to be trained and nurtured and instructed. And he says, look, parents, one of the best things you can do is not lead your kids to anger. Quit exasperating them. If, if your training of them is causing them to constantly be fighting against you, mom and dad, quit it. What does that look like? Well, I borrowed some of these from several folks. Here's what some parents are doing to exasperate and cause their kids to just want to get out as fast as they can. It's unreasonable demands for perfection. You know, if your kid is an A student, great, encourage them. But every kid is not an A student. Every kid is not artistic. Every kid is not, can you hear me, not athletic. Some kids don't like sports. They love you, but they don't like it. And they're doing things that they hate because you just won't shut up about achievement and reaching those goals. And you beat and beat. Now, not literally, but you pound. You've got to achieve this. Kids are going out of their mind trying to reach those standards that parents put them and leading them to anger. God says, quit it. I say that perfection. Look here. Don't you dare nag your kids about their weight, about their size. Look, a lot of that has to do with what you're putting in their mouth. But don't you dare nag at them because that will plant a seed in them that will grow and haunt them. Okay. Parents constantly nagging over minor infractions. You've been around them. Maybe you are them. It's constantly, you know, just over little stuff. Leaving no room for expression and growth. Kids are to be seen, not heard. Get out of there. No, go. I don't. Look, kids are going to grow. They got to be able to express. Now, certainly, parents have to keep a lid on some of that, but they got to have room. Providing no affirmation or encouragement. I can't tell you how many men I've heard say, Never heard my daddy say I loved you. Boy, I'm so thankful that is so far from the truth of my life. I heard my daddy say that all the time. And it causes me to want to be that father. Don't be that parent that never affirms them, never encourages them. Because they're going to get that affirmation and encouragement from somebody. If they're not getting it from you, they're going to get it from someone, and it's going to be destructive in their life. Providing no uh, affirmation. Next, harsh, unloving rebukes or cruelty that can sometimes be physical abuse. Sin, mom and dad, that's sin. Public embarrassment. I have to be real careful with that one because I know I, I, listen, I, got, I got some stories, but most of mine are, are mine. It happened in our house. i got to be real careful that I don't tell a story for illustration and embarrass one of my kids. But you know what it looks like when a parent is consistently, publicly embarrassing their kid? Quit it. It does not make you look big and bad and tough. And it just promotes anger in their heart. Verbal abuse. 
inconsistent or extreme discipline, favoritism. All the kids think you have a favorite. That's just part of it. But if you're making that without a doubt, that's wrong. And it's creating anger that doesn't need to be there. Overprotective hovering. That's a fun one. Yeah. Going to protect them from everything. You know, they're in their hazmat suit going to Walmart because of the COVID. You know, just listen. You can't protect them from everything. And if you try, you're going to keep them from a lot of the growth that they need so that they'll be ready to experience the world that they're going to have to go out and impact. Parents, we got to be intentional if we're going to bring up or raise our children. we got to be intentional about it. It's our responsibility. We're to raise them up in the discipline. It's a word that means the act of providing guidance for responsible living. It means training. It means instruction. It means discipline and correction. Parents, that's our responsibility. Don't drive your kids to anger, but be intentional about training them. Set that goal in in your mind of, of that responsible adult who knows the Lord, understands his word, and has every opportunity to choose to follow him, and then order your life in such a way that leads them in that direction without exasperating them. Was to lead them by discipline and instruction in the Lord. Instruction, it's counsel about how to avoid or how to cease improper course of conduct. It's admonishment. It's telling them when they're wrong. It's not being their friend. They don't want you to be their friend. You think they do. They're just manipulating. They don't want you to be their friend. They want you to be that strong sense of security that tells them what's right and shows them what's wrong even when they don't want to hear it. They may fight you tooth and nail, but at the end of the day, that's what they desire because it's what they need. we got to be intentional about that. If we're going to raise them discipline and instruction in the Lord, Bringing up discipline and instruction can't just be about Jesus, but it's got to be in a consistent investment in their life of faith. It can't just be Jesus' words. It can't just be church stuff. It's got to be an intentional investment in their faith. Husbands and wives who are not submitting, respecting, or loving each other are probably not also effectively raising their kids. It all works together. Mutually submitting to one another. Dad loving mom like Jesus loved the church. Mom submitting to dad. Letting him lead because that's what God's called him to do. And and kids obeying their parents. Honoring them. Holding them up. Respecting, revering them. And parents recognizing the gigantic responsibility that we have to raise our kids. Not exasperate them. Not lead them to anger. Not cause them to hate us. But to lead them in the way that they should go. Living out the faith at home. Some application and we'll be done. Kids, if you live at home... Today's the day to decide that you're going to make obedience and honor a norm in your life. That probably is going to mean you're going to need to confess some sin. 
disobedience, confess it to the Lord, confess it to mom and dad. I'm sorry I've been so hard to get along with. I'm sorry I've been so difficult. I want to obey. I want to honor. I want to do. I I want my faith to be lived out for Christ in the home. I know it was sin. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. That's what you say, parent. Yes, I forgive you. And then, kid, you just decide you want to, you want to live your faith out by being obedient, by honoring mom and dad. Adult children, are you honoring your parents today? That's a hard one. Spend some time with God, the Holy Spirit, allowing him to control you, Let the Holy Spirit lead you toward what it looks like to let him have the hurt. Let him have the disappointment. Forgive them, whether they want it or not. Release yourself from that right to hold that against them. Let God deal with them, and you just honor them on Jesus' behalf. You know, that actually might be a big piece toward God drawing them back to himself. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Parents with kids, we got to get it right at home. We got to get it right at home. Nothing else is working if it's broken at home. Listen, stand behind this this table right here ain't working if it's broken in my home. Teaching kids or doing whatever you do or whatever thing is your that ain't that ain't working. You can you can think yourself a success in all these other realms. You're a follower of Jesus and it's broken at home, that's not a win. In fact, that's probably a huge distraction and maybe part of the problem. Parents, we gotta get it right at home. Whatever your home situation is. You can lead your kids toward the Lord as you train them. And then parents of adults, because I know you're here, don't ever quit. I know they don't have to do what you say anymore, and they probably don't always even like what you have to say. But don't quit. Don't quit pouring into their life. Don't quit pouring into your grandkids. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. And sometimes that means just keep praying. They might tell you, I don't want to hear it. Keep your thoughts to yourself. That's okay. Talk to God about them. He knows. And he can do more in their life than you ever could. So, what would it look like if the homes of Oasis Church just decided, hey, let's Let's let our faith be lived out at home. What do you reckon that would look like for this ministry? I think it could probably revolutionize who we are and how we interact with one another. <clears throat> we all have a responsibility. We all have a response. So I just call you to do business with him while we pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for our kids. We thank you for the privilege it is to to have them, enjoy them, because they are a joy. Father, we thank you for our parents. They're not perfect. Some of them have just been bad. But God, we thank you that uh, in some way you were present in their presence. 
God, we just ask that you'll help us as we think about the home as husbands, as wives, as children, as parents. It's it's an awesome place for our life to reflect the gospel. For our life to reflect the love of Jesus. Father, I pray that you'll give us the, uh, the ability to see our sin, confess it, release it, and begin walking in obedience. Whatever our role is in the home, that we will want to live out our faith in that place. For your glory. God, we thank you for a group of people that will do life together. I thank you for all of them. And I just want to pray for all of these husbands, all of these wives, and all of these children. I pray you'll speak to them, show them exactly the step they need to take, even today, to move toward obedience. We ask that that will be the first step in a, a brand new walk. Father, I ask that you will protect all of those in the path of the storm today. Those that have already endured the elements, we ask that you would provide um, God direction, resources. Show us how we can be a part of that. God, we just look forward to the opportunities that you will lay out for us this week. Give us the courage to meet them all with a determination to reflect the character of your son. Because we love him. Because of who we are. By faith in him. We love you and we thank you. First in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.